I still have the chills from that. Rejoice. Emmanuel will come to you, Israel. That's, that's Advent. That's Advent. That's the expectation that Israel was living with, that, that Emmanuel was going to come, that a Savior was going to come. Unfortunately, they, they, they were waiting for so long. They were waiting for so long that it was easy for them to grow dark, for them to give up hope, to, for them to think that nothing was going to happen. And Advent is this season where we, where we kind of think through those kinds of topics, like, do we still think things are going to happen? Do we understand what waiting is like and how hard it is and how dark it is? Even when we're waiting, do we still believe something's on its way? Do we have hope and peace and joy in spite of and during this wait, this darkness, this, this season, not coincidentally, is like in the shortest days of the year, light-wise, right? We're in the darkest time from a just physical sun perspective. We're in the dark, and then it's going to just start to come. It's just going to start to become light on Christmas, right? Just right then is our darkest days, a few days before Christmas. And Advent is all of that, all of that thinking about all this darkness and waiting and hoping, and last week, Bradley Reese, just, I, just, I just was so excited about what he was saying. He was talking similar, like about the darkness that was there. And even so, even, even despite that, having faith and joy. And I want to just keep on where he was going. In, in thinking about this darkness, you have experienced darkness in your life at some point, right? Just this, this, just this feeling that you just don't know. You just, you just don't know where things are going. You, you try to imagine some new thing happening and you, and you just have a hard time imagining what that's going to be like. You start to have a hard time imagining that it's going to be, right? They, they waited for Emmanuel. They waited for the Messiah so long that they started feeling like it's, it's just, is it really going to happen? Is it really coming? You stop looking at the horizon when you get to this dark place. You stop looking at the horizon and start just looking more and more and more and more at your feet. There's this, there's this condition, this, this psychological state that, that's called learned helplessness. Learned helplessness is this state where you, you keep thinking or trying to make improvements in your life and your life just keeps going the wrong way and eventually you just learn there's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can do. It's just going to be bad. There just seems to be no logic to it. As I push against it, it doesn't move. There's nothing I can do. There's no way I can do anything. And you just learn to stop. To stop thinking. To stop hoping. To stop having joy. And this season of Advent is a season of thinking about those kinds of thoughts. I'm going to be talking about this guy in the, in the first chapter of Luke named Zechariah, who I think, I think, and I'm just going to tell you, this is not in the scripture. I, I'm adding this to what I think I'm seeing there. I, I always have this thought that like after this life, I'm going to meet Zechariah and he might come up to me and he's like, dude, you were way off. Like, I was the happiest guy ever. Or he might come up to me and like, yeah, right. That's what was going on. So I think, I think Zechariah was in this kind of a place where he was going on with life. He was doing life, but he was no longer expecting life. 
He was performing his religious duties, but he was no longer expecting Emmanuel to show up. And, and I'm going to walk you through a few reasons why I think that. But then, but I'm going to just preview. At the end of this story, Zechariah is going to give us this just amazing song of Christmas that we call the Benedictus. It's so amazing that it got its own name. It's got its own artwork. You know, there's just wonderful pieces of art. There's wonderful pieces of classical music about the Benedictus, this, this great song of Zechariah, which starts off, praise be to the Lord God of Israel. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. It's here. It's happening. It's, it's, go, it's going down. He has raised the horn of salvation for us. He's saving us. He is saving us. That's where we're headed. So this is an interesting story, right? We start with a guy who has no hope, and we end with that guy who sings the Benedictus. So let's get going. So there's this priest. Luke chapter 1, verse 5 says this. There was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth, also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Great setup. Great setup. There's a guy. He's a priest. And in that day, you were a priest because you were descended from priests. You were his father, his grandfather, his great-grandfather. He could trace his priesthood, his priestliness back to Aaron, back to Moses' brother. His wife also could, could trace her lineage back to Aaron. I mean, they're just great people. They, they're separated off in that day. If you were a priest, you're, you're called holy, which is meaning separated off from the community. He had priestly clothes. He had priestly hats. He had priestly jewelry. He had priestly clean life that was separated from everybody else. It's just great. But, but even then, even already, can you start to imagine yourself as a priest separated off from the rest of the community in kinds of ways? Have you ever been to a party where it's like, hey, hi, how are you doing? What do you do? I'm a pastor. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. I'll go get some punch. Right? <laughs> right? Right? There's a, there just is a separation between people who are holy people and people who are normal people. So I'm already like, okay, there's already probably some separation there. He's, he's like perfect dude. He's righteous in the sight of God. And then you, get to this, then you get to this line where Luke starts dropping it on you a little even more clearly, I think. But they were childless. But they were childless. Because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. I, don't, I think blame might not be right there. And both were very old. But they were childless. And both were very old. Gosh. Do you feel it? Oh. Even in our day, even in our day, people who are childless, like there's this, all this mess of stuff in your heads. Like, what did I do wrong? Why is this not happening? Why is God not blessing me? Why is God doing this to other people? And in their day, it was even that amplified. If you were childless, that, that, that suggested you had actually done something against God. Ch children were gifts of God. No children is no gift from God, right? I mean, wh who did wrong? Who sinned? Who was, who's to blame here? And that for sure doesn't bind you, bind you to the people. That separates you even more. There's loneliness involved in all of that. 
right? The, the community, the culture is all around all this family, and you're not. So, next thing is, what am I doing wrong? Why doesn't God like me? This is the worst, isn't it? When you feel like, I'm doing nothing wrong. The scripture just said that. I'm doing nothing wrong. In fact, these two sentences, if you put them right together, both of them, both of them were righteous in the sight of God, but they were childless and they were old. Oh. Those two things, I've done nothing wrong and my life is going completely wrong. I work hard every day and I'm going backwards while my friends are going forwards. I was always the good kid, but my life is just going the wrong way. I just got the worst news. I trusted God, but I just don't think it was supposed to look like this. I thought things were all going in the right direction, and then they just took a hard left turn. Those, those two things together, those two sentences together, that's part of this learned helplessness that happens to us. So we meet a priest. He's upright. He's holy. He's childless. He's old. Okay, there's, one, there's another thing that happens to him. He's a priest, and so every five, no, every year, he would go to Jerusalem five times and serve for a week, seven days, and, and they would serve in the temple, and they would do all kinds of things, and so every year, five weeks out of the year, seven days out of those weeks, he goes to the temple and does these things. Every one of those days, two priests have to go into the temple and light incense. It's one of the most holy things they can do. Some scholars think they only got to do it once in their life. Um, once you did it, you, you don't get to do it anymore. Regardless, it's a holy, holy thing. The way it's chosen is by lots, which we could just picture it as like your name is put in a hat, okay? So all the priests are there. Everybody's name is put into a hat. They pull out the name on the hat, and it says, oh, Jim gets to go do the incense today. I doubt any of them were named Jim, but Jim gets to do the incense today in the morning, and Ted gets to do it in the afternoon. He's, he sits through this thing I've calculated. Let's say he's 60 years old. I don't know how old he is. He's old. Let's say he's done that for 40 years. That's 2,800 times where he's watched a name get pulled out of a hat, and it isn't his name. <laughs> right? God doesn't like me. God is not for me. There's no answer to why this is. This becomes his script. This becomes who he is. All right, so that's, that's the guy. That's who we meet at the beginning. Now we hear his name does get drawn. The 2,801st time. His name gets picked. Okay, so now he's going into the temple to do this ceremony, this priestly thing that he learned how to do when he was a little kid. But maybe, but maybe... He's going in there with this same thing that he is, right? God doesn't like me. This has never gone well. So he's, at, he's standing in there. He's got his lighter out. He's trying to light the incense. And an angel appears. An angel. A being from another dimension, right? A, a, a thing that we don't understand what it looked like or felt like. An angel appears from a different plane, a different reality. And is standing right there next to him. We, again, we don't know what this angel looked like. 
But we do know that Zechariah didn't just think that some dude had just wandered in behind him. He knew that this was something unusual. Because it says, Zechariah was gripped with fear. Yeah, of course he was gripped with fear. An angel, an angel from a different dimension, this being appears in front of him. He was gripped with fear. Second reason he's gripped with fear, maybe, maybe, is because scriptures that he has memorized have stories in them about priests who are unworthy, who are giving sacrifice in the temple, and God killed them. Maybe, maybe the 2,801st time the, the, the person drawing in the hat had drawn the wrong ticket, right? I, I was supposed to draw that ticket, and I drew, maybe I'm not supposed to be here. Maybe this is not my place. Okay, so this angel appears, and this angel, this Gabriel, the same angel that visits Mary, this angel appears and says these amazing things, amazing things. I made you a bulleted list of all the amazing things that, they, that this angel says. First of all, don't be afraid. Well, we're a little late for that. I'm already gripped with fear. Second of all, your prayer has been heard, which, which has all this like, uh, God has heard you. God knows you. Elizabeth is going to bear a, you a son. You're going to have uh, this thing that you've wished for all the time. That son that you're going to have, he is going to be great in the sight of the Lord. <gasps> He's going to be great. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. Now, this is an outrageous claim, right? In our day, we expect that the Holy Spirit is here and around and available to us. In his day, not. The Holy Spirit came rarely to very few people. And it was a, like an obvious thing that this person had the Holy Spirit. Your son, Zechariah, he's going to have the Holy Spirit from before he's born. Oh. Your son is going to bring back many people from Israel to the Lord. Many people. And he's going to go before the Lord, which now we're talking about the Messiah. Well, he's going to go before the Messiah, this thing that's been promised to Israel for all of time that, you know, that we have been waiting for and waiting for and waiting for. He's going to go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Like Now we're talking about superhero kind of status. And he's going to make ready people for the Lord. Yes! So, uh, so Zechariah is like, yeah, yeah, let's go! Super not what he did. Super not what he did. No, in fact, you know what he did? He's like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about that, right? You know, God doesn't really like me anyway. Maybe none of this is even real. Maybe I'm just hallucinating. I've never been in here before. Maybe everyone sees this. I don't know. How do I know this is even true? How do I? <laughs> and I just, I just wish I could be a fly on the wall there, right? I just always picture Gabriel like, <laughs> what? Dude. I'm an angel. Okay, so... There's that. I just appeared to you, so there's that. Like a second ago, I was talking to God. You know, we were on a conference call, Zoom. A second ago, I was standing in heaven talking to God. God says to me, hey, Gabriel, here's a message. Why don't you go bring that over to Zechariah? So I did. I appeared to you. And I gave you this amazing, amazing bit of news. 
What do you mean, how do, how do I know? I just love thinking that, like, uh, also that angels can be sarcastic. <laughs> Sarcasm must be the highest form of prophecy, I think. <laughs> what do you mean? What do you mean, how do I know? The scripture says it like this. It's a little bit more boring. But it's all the same message. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you've lost your phone privileges. That's what, that's what it says. Well, it says this. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until this happens. So Zechariah now is, is, is unable to speak for the next nine months. Gabriel's like, dude, I, I was not prepared for that. I don't even know what to do. Uh, you lost your phone privileges. It, right? Okay, so this is one of my favorite favorite scenes in the Bible because of its ridiculousness, but don't lose the thread. Don't lose the thread. I think what's happening here is we've got this unresolved disappointment. This, this unresolved thing that he's been a priest for his whole life. This has been his job for his whole life. And he has in some way during that period of time sort of lost any any ability to have any kind of faith that something is really going to happen. Like he's performing these acts that are all meant to show that a, a, that a Messiah is coming, but he doesn't think a Messiah is coming. He's just, he's just like in this mode. And so I want, to, I want you to think about this for you. This is, I have only two points in this whole thing, and I'm not usually very clear about my points. One of my points is this. You could, be, you could be doing all these things. You could be living your life and not expecting God anywhere. You could be coming to this service. You could be singing worship songs. You could be praying and you're not expecting God to show up. Because you've learned helplessness. You've learned in some way that it's not happening. You've told yourself in some way that you're outside of that. I just want to ask you these straight up questions. Do you still expect God to show up? Do you expect God to be present in your life? Not in a sing-song way, in an actual way. Do you think God has a plan? A plan to redeem the whole earth? And do you think he's enacting that plan? And do you think you're a part of that enaction of that plan? Do you, are these things that you still hold on to, that, that God is redeeming the earth and I am supposed to be helping in some way? Do you think it would be like truthful for you to say, like I have had the Holy Spirit, maybe not from before I'm born, I don't know. I, I have the Holy Spirit and I am a person who's being called to call on people to bring them back to God. Prepare people for the Lord. Why not? Why not? Why not? Why isn't that what you expect? Maybe you need to lose your phone privileges for a while. I'm serious. I think one of the things, this is my second point. I only have two points. I think one of the things that has to happen for you to get that back is for you to change something. For you to shift something, for you to stop something, for you maybe to do something new. 
I think Zechariah, like, think again. Now he can't talk. He's a priest. Probably his life was different for the next nine months, right? Probably he was out of his routines now for the next nine months. I would, I would assume a priest had to talk to do some of his role, not all of it. So Zechariah spends this nine months doing what? I would guess that in the beginning, it's, it's, this, it's this mental thing, like beating himself up maybe a little bit, right? Like I was, I was there. Once in a lifetime, I get to go into the temple and light the incense. I'm standing there, and the angel, an angel appears, gives me this great speech, and what do I do? I don't know about that, right? I, what an idiot. So I figure that's part of what he does first. But then he's like, an angel appeared. An angel. An angel appeared, and he told me all this stuff. He told me I was going to have a son. And look, Elizabeth's pregnant now. He told me he was going to be great. He told me that the Messiah is coming. And my son is going to announce that. And he starts to believe it. This change in his routine, this getting him outside of himself, this making him actually think gets him to a place where he starts to actually believe that this is what's happening. And so Zechariah gets his voice back when he names his son John just like he was supposed to. And what does he say with his first words? These precious words because he hasn't been able to use words for nine months. He gets his voice back and he says, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. I love one thing, I, just a side note, both his prophecies in his song and Mary's are in the past tense, even though they weren't when they were speaking them. <laughs> I just think that's so good. Anyway, praise be to God, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. It's real. It's happening. It's now. The wait is over. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us. Weird set of words right there, right? But, it's, but it means just simply, he made a savior. Raised up a horn of salvation means raised up a king that's now going to be the one who saves. In the house of his servant David, which is part of prophecy. And that's going to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness all of our days. Think about that for yourself. We have, we have been enabled to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness all of our days. And so he says to his son in this song, he starts speaking to his, his new son. And one of the things he says that you should hear for yourself, you will go before the Lord to prepare a way for him. You will go before the Lord to prepare a way for him. And then, I just, and then just as this is so great. This Lord that's coming is going to shine on those living in darkness. We're back, to, we're full circle, right? We're in the darkness. Advent is the darkness. But the new thing comes and shines on people who are living in the darkness and in the shadow of death. And he's a guide for our feet. That's amazing. So, Here's my, here's my last set of questions. God comes to you and he says, I've had my eyes on you. I know you. And I'm going to overcome hunger. And I'm going to start right there. I'm going to start with you. I'm going to overcome abuse and exploitation and trafficking. And I'm starting right there. 
right with you. I'm going to overcome hatred and war and terrorism. I'm starting there. And I'm going to overcome injustice and insecurity and inequities. And I'm starting with you. And I'm going to overcome pride and greed and selfishness. And I'm starting here. And I'm going to overcome broken relationships and divisions and factions and distrust. And I'm starting with you. Starting with you. Tell me, tell me why God's not saying that to you. Why is that not true? I don't know. I don't have an answer for you. I think it's true. I think that's exactly what God is saying. And it's up to us to have the belief that that we actually can move forward with this. That God actually is here and doing these things. I think maybe we need to spend some silence before him. I'm going to pray. Father, these weeks before the birth are a time of silence, a time of darkness, a time of hope, but also this time where this thing is coming, this thing that we know the light is, the light is on its way. Lord, help us be people who reflect, be people who be people who understand the way, be people who see that we're in the darkness and say, and yet, and yet, and yet, you've promised these things. And people who then grab those promises and have love and joy and peace and hope of Advent. Amen.